All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's complimentary educational webinar, The Leadership Factor in Market Valuation and M&A Success, which will, be, which will be presented by J. Keith Dunbar, EDD, founder and CEO of Potentius. My name is John Polis, and I will be your webinar moderator today. I'm the Chief Operating and Technology Officer for your webinar host, Star Mountain Capital, a specialized asset management firm focused on investing in the large and underserved U.S. lower middle market of companies with typically under 15 million of EBITDA. Star Mountain's differentiated business model includes a custom-built media and technology platform bringing proven large market resources to smaller businesses as a value-added lender and investment partner. Before I hand over the reins to Keith, I did want to let you know that your audio is muted and will be for the entirety of the presentation. Also, we have allocated time at the end of the presentation for Q&A. If you have a question, you can type it into the Q&A chat box of your WebEx client. We will try to get to as many questions as possible before our hour is up. Now about our presenter. J. Keith Dunbar, EDD, is a recognized subject matter expert on leadership and other critical human capital topics. He's a frequent speaker at professional conferences and workshops and contributor to a variety of business publications. In 2014, Dr. Dunbar was recognized by the Alliance of M&A Advisors as the Middle Market Thought Leader of the Year for his groundbreaking research and M&A leadership consulting services. Keith, we are very excited to have you with us today. Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to engage with everyone that's on the, the call today and share, you know, some what I believe are useful insights for them to keep in mind as they look to possibly sell their company or seek investment or look for growth through mergers and acquisitions. So let's go ahead and get started. So John did a great job of introducing me. I've got uh, a kind of a varied background that uh, has shown me to be kind of adaptable to different situations, uh, like today as a fire alarm goes off in my building. So um, my background, uh, private, public sector, a lot of emphasis on uh, working really hard intelligence problems when I, when I was in the federal government. What I realized from that experience is that the hardest problems that we face in organizations are people problems. And as I've gained experience in mergers and acquisitions, it was something that I really wanted to, to look into and study and understand. And the one thing I, I definitely want to share with everybody that's kind of a, an interesting point about me is I am bilingual. I speak English and I speak Southern. So today you're going to hear a lot of Southern. And uh, John has graciously offered to be a translator if you don't understand anything that I say today. So let's get started in the content. So as I discussed, we're going to talk about two kind of situations that you may be considering or looking into. One is the market valuation of your firm from the perspective of you getting ready to sell your firm uh, or seek investment for your firm and you want to maximize what that uh, market valuation can bring to you. The flip side is if you're looking to buy a firm or make that investment, you know, what does that look like to you from a market valuation perspective and understanding the leadership factor. The other piece, as we mentioned earlier, is we're going to talk about M&A success. What is it from a leadership factor perspective is going to increase the probability of your merger and acquisition being successful. 
So as we start to look at this, leadership is one of those things that is vitally important to organizations to be successful. What I tell uh, clients and customers is that whether you have the great greatest manufacturing or consulting or finance or human resources capabilities in your organization, you can't make that work without leadership uh, and world-class leadership being able to drive that. And what we know from uh, research of different organizations is that it has a huge impact on productivity. Uh, so market valuation decisions, which we'll talk in a little bit more depth, uh, we see target executives leave within two years of an M&A, for example, so that leads uh, huge leadership gaps in organizations, uh, 10 to 15% of overall firm performance. And so we start to paint this picture of the importance of leadership, but how does this specifically apply to market valuation of your firm or firms you're looking to acquire? So this is called the Golden Triangle, and this is based on some work out of the University of Michigan. And what the researchers identified is that there are really three main components that go into the decision of market valuation of a firm. The one that we're most familiar with is going to be the cash flow and the financials, which makes up about 35 to 40% of that decision. Uh, intangibles such as IP, Real estate, factories make up 30 to 35% of that uh, decision. But the piece that a lot of people haven't thought to focus on is that 25 to 30% of the decision is based on perceptions of the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of the leadership team in the organization that you're looking to acquire or that you're looking to buy. And this was kind of uh, also resonated with Deloitte who did some research asking financial analysts what information do they use to make decisions about uh, discounts or premiums for stocks. And the number one was obviously the financial information, but number two was again that uh, perception of the leadership team's effectiveness. And on average, the premium for effective leadership teams was about 15.7% and for uh, discounts on negative 19%. So even if uh, you don't think someone's looking at you from a leadership perspective, you can guarantee that they are looking at you and they're, they're taking in the information that they have available to them to make a discernment about how much should I value this firm at. And I want to give you an example of what kind of information they're using to make these determinations. So this is an example from a confidential information management uh, management section of a book. Uh, so I've changed the names and the names of the companies and the individuals to protect the innocent. And, and I've highlighted some things here. So this is, uh, from my experience, a typical management section in a CIM. And what we get from that is in the blue, we, we get where they went to school, what their education is. From a leadership perspective, I've highlighted some things here in red. So like he embodied what it meant to work hard, have fun, and treat people well. They developed the accounting systems and practices and training materials for a small business. This individual paved the way for introducing best-in-class systems. He is the concepts innovator. So we get glimpses that this person potentially has some leadership qualities, but 
at the end of the day, this isn't enough to help you get that 25 to 30 percent uh, of the market valuation decision. And in a lot of cases, it's lost at the table for a lot of companies because they don't spend the right level of effort or focus on this topic. So what I recommend are four primary steps to help you get ready for this. And as you notice up in the top right-hand corner, I have this little target sign on the slide. Uh, that is to symbolize to you that this is important material that you should take away. And I know John at the end of this presentation are, is going to send these slides out to you, so you'll have these available to you at any time. But the first thing is to understand where you stand from a leadership perspective. So in order to do that, you really need to assess individual and collective leadership capabilities. And I'll show you an example of uh, how that plays out later. And you need to go as deep as feasible in the leadership ranks. And, and the reason for that is, again, back to if you are looking to sell your company, uh, in a lot of cases, and, and again, there's research that bears this out, founders of companies that are sold don't typically stay there. So what uh, usually ends up happening is that the middle managers and frontline supervisors are the ones that are left there to ensure that the organization functions as efficiently and effectively as possible. And so that's why you should go as deep as possible with this. So again, you can tell a different, much stronger narrative of your leadership capabilities that reside in your organization to maximize that 25 to 30% of the decision. Step two is to know your strengths and risk areas. Uh, strengths, because you want to definitely play to those as you tell a story about your organization, and risk areas so you can seek to mitigate those, and we'll share some examples of how you might be able to do that uh, by developing a plan as step three to help to mitigate those risk areas. And step four is, again, prepare to tell a more powerful leadership narrative, a better story than the example I just shared with you. So what this looks like. So in this case, this is based on a, a project that we worked on, and I, I have a much better case study at the end. But what we have here is that uh, this individual uh, has this degree, key roles that they've had, and we've done this leadership assessment at the individual level. So we know from a key leadership development experience perspective that he's led big change projects, including planning and execution of those plans. And that based on what we see here where there is uh, less capability and builds plans and manages execution and leads change that we would want to get uh, work with them to build additional capabilities in those areas, potentially with an executive coach or a mentor, for example. Now, from a collective perspective, we can look at executive management in total and middle management in total. So again, we're able to discern what are the key strengths amongst these two groups, what are those key risk areas that we see from these two groups, and then what type of developmental activities would be recommended to help them mitigate those risk areas uh, so when it comes time to do this, we can tell that much more powerful narrative about leadership in the organization. And so as an example, what you might find is that for this individual, we can talk about their strengths. Uh, we can talk about key leadership experiences that they've had to really maximize that value. 
and then the same thing from a collective perspective. So now you can talk about your entire organization and why this is important. And here's a, a, a good example of a case study where we worked with a middle market trucking staffing firm here in the Washington, D.C. area. At the time, they were part of a private equity group, and the CEO had been executing on a very aggressive acquisition strategy over the last two years with the company. Uh, his goal at this point was to sell his company, and that was either going to be to another private equity group or potentially to a strategic company. And so what he asked us to do was to come in and assess him against both our acquire and our target M&A leadership success profiles so he can make that a part of his pitch book. Uh, the acquire reason, because if he became part of a private equity group, he was going to continue to execute a very aggressive acquisition strategy of going out uh, and moving into new territories within the United States. But the target, because if he became part of a strategic, he wanted to be able to tell that story that, hey, my leadership team has the right skill sets to be able to affect, you know, an efficient and effective integration with your organization and continue to grow the business. So what we found through this process that we go through is that he had a couple of specific leaders that had leadership risk areas. And these risk areas uh, could impact his ability to execute on his strategy going forward. So the, the ultimate result of this engagement is he, he eventually sold to another private equity group. But what he shared with me is that he believes that he achieved a higher market valuation because he was able to tell a different story about leadership in his book than what a typical uh, management section uh, looks like. And so we, we really uh, considered this a big success for us. Now, in the case that you are uh, looking to acquire a company and you're looking to understand the market valuation of that company, one thing that you want to keep in mind is you may not get a lot of time with the senior leadership team. You're probably not going to get any time with them to do any type of assessment to help understand what these uh, leadership strengths or risk areas are. But there are questions that you can ask uh, as you have engagements with companies that you're looking at uh, acquiring uh, where you can start to understand some of these things. So. You know, if you want to know whether this company thinks strategically, you can ask them to explain their growth strategy over the last three years and how did they determine the capabilities that they needed to grow. You can ask them about how they focus on customer needs. How have you identified customer needs and reacted to those over the last three years? And you see these other questions. And the goal here is to have leaders share with you their experiences so you can at least make um, – you know, a subjective judgment of capabilities that these leaders bring to the table. Now, if you are on the flip side, an individual that's looking to sell his company, you need to be able to have stories available to answer these kinds of questions. So people that are on that other side of that table, so you can maximize your market valuation, so you can tell these stories about, you know, how your team led, a major change of moving into a new product category or a new region of the U.S. with your products. Uh, so you can paint that picture of how well your organization does from a leadership perspective and don't leave that 25 to 30 percent to chance.
So developing leadership capability. So in a lot of cases, uh, we, we have to seek a way in order to develop capabilities in our organization and turn risk areas into strengths and continue to grow strength areas. And so what we typically find is uh, developmental activities are totally dependent on the time horizon. So for some of the work that we do for clients that are investment firms, and we have a case study uh, here shortly where we'll talk about this, um, they have a one year, maybe a little bit longer window by which they're gonna get ready to exit their investment. So the time to come in is at that one year point so you can assess the organization and kind of lay out what a development program or development plan might look like for the leaders of that organization so you can help prepare it to maximize that market valuation piece. And key development activities that I typically recommend to my clients are really around uh, the things that you see here on this slide. So around mentoring. So case in point, in your organization, you have leaders that are really good at building relationships or fostering teamwork or thinking strategically. And then you have some leaders in your organization that are not good at those things. So one of the things that you can do internally that's uh, a cheap way of uh, doing some leadership development is to match people up that uh, have strengths and risk areas that match up pretty clearly. And so those individuals are sharing their experiences about how they do this so they grow their own capabilities in these areas. Another area is around executive coaching. Now this can take two forms in your organization. You can do individual coaching uh, or you can do team coaching. Uh, what I recommend is that it's kind of totally dependent on the case of the strengths and the risk areas in an organization and the total size of the organization that we're talking about. In this case, what I recommend is that on an individual basis, you focus on no more than one to two areas that you think you need to improve uh, capability in in order to prepare uh, for that market valuation decision down the road. From a team perspective, it's kind of the same thing. You know, how do you create the conditions where you get that direction alignment and commitment and build capability across the team? Uh, so again, you can tell that much powerful story. Another really great area is experiences. So in a lot of cases, people just need the opportunity to exercise their leadership skills in new areas. And so what I recommend is where it makes sense based on the nature of your organization and what it is trying to achieve is to give people experiences at leading a change project, leading a new marketing effort, leading a new sales effort. So they get these new skills uh, and, and it, again, it'll give you a determination of how they are progressing as you work through some of these. The, the one area where I don't tend to make a lot of recommendations is on the training piece. So again, I, I kind of focus more on the one-on-one the -on -one of mentoring, coaching, and experiences, but training is still an option. So if we identify that collectively uh, there are, are, you know, a number of skill areas like thinking strategically, managing execution, and fostering teamwork, and it's for a much larger group of people, then we might recommend that we do some training programs 
where we get people's skill levels up to a common level and we continue to work with them after the fact. So these are just some of the ideas around leadership capability development. There are a number of different ways that you can do this, but it definitely needs to be tailored to the individual and the situation. So I told you about a case study that uh, an investment firm. So this investment firm was seeking to achieve that 25 to 30% of the leadership premium in their planned exit. So what we did with them was we uh, assessed various investment leadership teams at different stages of growth. We did this at an individual and a collective level. So again, we could tell a, help them tell a different story. Uh, what we found is in the uh, case of two investment teams, they were uh, identified with some individual and collective leadership risk areas. And so what we are currently doing is providing individual and team coaching to grow leadership strengths and preparation for exits in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, so uh, what I would tell you is the results of this are to be determined, but you know, our expectation is that they will achieve a higher market valuation, again, because they are able to tell a much different uh, story about leadership in their organization. So now let's shift to uh, mergers and acquisitions specifically. So this is an area that I spend a lot of my time on. Uh, because of the nature of acquisitions and their complexity and, you know, all the things that go into these. So let's get started here. So the research tells us that up to 70% of M&As fail to meet their stated objectives, and of those, another 50% will destroy shareholder value. And the, the case can be made that in some instances, this failure rate is much higher. I, I'll give you a case in point. A client that I had, um, there was a part of their business that had made five successive acquisitions of which none of those acquisitions met their uh, revenue goals for the previous year, uh, and they continued to make acquisitions without making any substantive changes to their process of how they brought the, how they identified these companies uh, and how they onboarded these companies and integrated them into their larger corporate structure. And so we came in and provided a different perspective on this. But the challenge that you have in mergers and acquisitions is that this is the most complex and volatile and uncertain business decision that you can make as a business owner is going out and making an acquisition uh, and hoping that uh, it achieves the desired results, whether that's through revenue targets, uh, market share targets, uh, or new products, for example. And so I, I always kind of throw this up because the, you know, the definition of insanity attributed to Albert Einstein, and the reality is we have continued to do the same things in mergers and acquisitions from a people perspective uh, expecting different results and not achieving those results. And I believe that is directly attributable to the lack of focus on leadership as a factor in uh, increasing the probability of M&A success. And so as we talked about earlier from the market valuation perspective of looking at the individual or looking at the collective, 
we take a holistic view at Potentious. And the reason we do this is, again, M&As are a major change event. They're a major change event, not just for the company that you are acquiring, but most significantly, they're a change event for you as well as the acquirer. And so because they are major change events, you need to take into account that it's leadership from the bottom of the organization all the way at the top of the organization that is going to impact whether this is, a, is successful or not. And, you know, what I found in my research, so I had a data set of over 30,360 assessments covering frontline supervisors all the way up to top executives. And what came out of that research is that those companies that were positive performing had more leadership uh, factors uh, correlated to M&A success than negative performing companies. And we see the differences in uh, positive performing versus negative performing. And so we knew we hit on something here. And as we kind of proceeded looking at uh, the risk factors associated with M&A deals, a lot of things got attributed to why M&As fail. And this comes from a report from the Federal Executive Research Foundation and Crow Horvath around navigating the risk of contemporary M&A. And here you see their CFO's 15 top deal risk factors overpaying for deals, insufficient operational due diligence, cultural assimilation challenges, insufficient financial due diligence record. So all of these things are attributed to M&A success, but all of these things also have an underlying leadership skill factor attributed to it. So for example, the ability to assimilate cultures you need leaders in your organization that can inspire trust, communicate effectively, and lead change. But because we didn't understand these dynamics of leadership's role, we haven't been able to address it in any substantive form. And so, you know, I go in, uh, I engage with a lot of different consulting firms, and I'll always ask this question about, you know, what leadership factors impact M&A success, and I'll get you know, a laundry list of leadership uh, factors that impact deal success you know, based on these individuals' experiences in M&As. But the reality is no one uh, has any evidence-based backing to back that up what they are sharing. It's just based on anecdotal evidence. And as we know, every M&A deal varies uh, based on the nature of the two companies involved and the people involved. And so we you know, strive to provide a, a much better light on this and uh, share that with you today. So let's talk about the culture piece. So, you know, an example of where poor leadership drives poor culture, I'm sharing this uh, example here from the Nest and Dropcam deal that happened back in 2014. And I'll have some more that are more focused on middle market specifically here shortly. But in 2014, Nest, which was at that time a division of Google, acquired Dropcam. Uh, the merger was looking to take advantage of this uh, emerging market in interconnected smart devices in homes, which many of you probably have some type of uh, Echo or Echo Dot, for example, from Amazon in your market or a Nest thermostat. So. 
That was the intent of this uh, acquisition by Nest. Nest culture was similar to the Apple culture. So it was a hierarchical leadership structure. It was a meeting culture and a culture of micromanagement. And the Nest CEO, Tony Fidel, uh, in a, a meeting after the Dropcam CEO had left the company, not about six months after the deal was final, kind of shared that he felt that 50% of the Dropcam employees had left stated that a lot of the employees were not as good as we hoped. Unfortunately, it wasn't a very experienced team. And, you know, in hindsight, the CEO of Dropcam, um, you know, regretted making the deal in the first place. And this is a, a case of how leadership behavior impacted leadership culture in an organization. So in this case, uh, Fidel comes across as not being very collaborative, being very hierarchical, um, not engaging with, you know, his team and his clients and doing everything through meetings. And so Nest revenue in this case has not kept pace with the investment that Alphabet has made. And eventually Tony Fidel was asked to leave Alphabet based on these revelations that came out about his leadership style and the impact it was having on the success of Nest. I always like to show this box here, uh, this framework. And so to give you a sense of the, the connection between leadership and culture, what you see in the box that I have as the culture box is, you know, what leader behaviors and follower attitudes and behaviors, so the employees working for those leaders and those influence processes by which you use to engage with uh, leader to employee and employee leader and those situational factors all drive performance outcome. And in any merger and acquisition, a, a number of consulting firms, the first thing they want to do is the cultural assessment. So they'll come in and what they are assessing is what's inside that culture box. They're assessing the leadership styles of the individuals in the organization. They're assessing uh, values, different perspectives on innovation and risk and, and areas like that. What they fail to do is to focus on that box you see out to the left, which is the leadership traits and skills. And here's why. Even if you do a cultural assessment, and you identify that there are these elements that are different between you and the company you are acquiring, there will be a change management plan put together and a communication plan put together to lead to the successful integration of these two cultures. The reality is if you don't know whether you have leaders that can uh, build trust, uh, lead change, foster teamwork, influence others, then that's all for nothing. Because what we fail to do is we assume that we have leaders in the organization that can make this happen. But I ask you to go back to times when uh, communications are intended to flow down through an organization. Some leaders are really effective at communicating, uh, you know, whatever the message is. And then there are some leaders that are not effective at communicating that. And that's where I believe the biggest challenges lay in uh, successful acquisitions is because we don't account for the leadership piece. 
So here's a, a recent case uh, where Walmart bought uh, Jet.com for $3.3 billion back in 2016. Uh, the interesting piece about this is Jet.com had an office happy hour every Thursday where they had um, beer and wine available to employees there in the office building. When they got acquired by Walmart, Walmart killed that because Walmart doesn't do happy hours in the office. And so as uh, Walmart CEO Doug McMillian was engaging with the Jet.com CEO Mark Lohr, he asked if they were hugging them too tightly. And what Lohr brought up is that they had decided to move the happy hour off to a, an off-premise bar there in New York City. But they were having poor attendance to that. And so Walmart shifted course. They allowed the office happy hour again, and as uh, – Walmart has made successive acquisitions. They've done the same thing to adjust to their culture. Now, this will be portrayed as a cultural success, but the reality is both Walmart and Jet uh, built trust by changing their behaviors. They use sound judgment in looking at the situation and making a decision about what could change or should change. They showed adaptability, so they, they got away from this is how Walmart does it to adapt to a different way of uh, doing this. They influenced internally and they led change internally. And so, again, I believe this is a really good case of where leadership and understanding leadership capability really drove a successful uh, cultural integration. Here's a, a potential middle market M&A case that we worked on. So. Uh, we were supporting integration efforts for a middle market deal situation we had was uh, two companies about equal size, about $75 million each, uh, different culture factors based on the cultural assessment that we had spoken about. What we found, uh, again, both leadership teams showed leading change and foster teamwork as key risk areas. And so what we did is we developed and executed a team building course to build direction, alignment, and commitment uh, and new team uh, change frameworks and leading change. And what we've seen so far from a result perspective is low turnover from the acquired company, as well as double-digit growth in the last two years because we focused on the leadership factors that were important to successful cultural integration. So this is the framework that we use when we engage with clients. So we seek to review the business strategy, the deal thesis, the deal objectives, because those have leadership implications to them. And, and this is beyond the scope of this presentation, but we seek to understand what those leadership implications are uh, based on the deal thesis and the deal objectives. And we identify those implications uh, at the business group, the leader, and the corporate function level. So we understand what is going to have to happen within each of those different organizations. We then collect, collate, uh, analyze, compare leadership data that we get between an acquirer and a target company. So we get that individual and collective leadership view. And what that leads to is an identification uh, very clearly of what leadership strengths and risk areas exist so we can develop a very specific leadership integration plan that helps to maximize and um, you know leverage the strengths identified and mitigate those risk areas.
And so in in finishing, what I would like to share with you, and I wanted to make sure that I left enough time for uh, questions and, you know, Q&A and um, engaging with you uh, uh, in this webinar. But, you know, the key to this is to understand that you have strengths in your organization from a leadership perspective. If you are looking to sell your firm, you need to take advantage of those strengths and tell a different story. If you have risk areas, you need to mitigate those. And by mitigating those, that again feeds into telling a much different, uh, stronger leadership narrative that's going to help you maximize that 25 to 30% market valuation that's there on the table. From the M&A perspective, I firmly believe that if you focus on the leadership capability of your own organization, if you're making an acquisition, uh, and that of the organization that you're looking to acquire, you are going to greatly improve the probability of M&A success and achieving your deal objectives. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, right? You know, we want to increase the opportunities uh, for you to have valued growth in your organization by focusing on the leadership factor. And that's what I got. So, Tom or John, sorry. That's okay. Thanks a lot, Keith. Thanks, thanks very much uh, for that very uh, informative and, uh, and well-designed presentation. For those of you who, are, who, who joined in late, uh, right before Keith started, the, uh, the smoke alarm or uh, the fire system in his building started to go off, so he's actually, he had to evacuate the building. I hope nothing, uh, nothing is wrong there, Keith. I hope everything's okay. It was a false alarm. But, uh, but Keith is, had, is doing this presentation from his car right now. So uh so kudos to the power of uh, of modern technology, Keith. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> is that, is everything okay uh, with your building? Yeah, yeah, the fire department showed up and they left and everybody went in. So I figured that'd kind of be a disruption if I tried to go back to my office. So <laughs> Well, uh well, we we appreciated it and, and and everything was fine from this end. So we do have a couple of questions. Uh the first one is related to your to the to your uh golden triangle concept. And yep. uh and in it uh it puts twenty five to thirty percent on leadership. Uh in your experience, how can you effectively assess this category without uh inserting bias? In other words, have you found the best practice leadership methodology to make the process more quantitative? Yeah, so the way that we have historically done this, and I think the one thing that you have to keep in mind, there is no 100% objective way to assess leadership. At the end of the day, it is still a function of, of people making a subjective assessment of capability. And so what we have historically used are a, a number of ways of doing this. One is there are... Uh, interviews. So, you know, in a lot of cases with our investment firm work, we will do a, a two-hour interview of the individual. Then we'll have a series of online assessments, which will include a 360 assessment, um, some um, other behavioral-based assessments, so we can paint a very complete picture of the individual uh, as best as we can. And the 360 assessment is important because, again, if you are the leader in the organization, your view of your world is just what you are aware of, okay? But the impact that you have on people around you is how those 
skills manifest themselves in leader behaviors. And so the 360 assessment where, you know, uh, in the case of myself, my supervisor would assess me, my peers would assess me, uh, employees that I lead would, would assess me, uh, as well as potentially customers. In some cases, we have customers that do assessments on individual leaders. But all of this together helps, again, to paint a pretty good picture of where a person stands uh, as a leader to help us assess where there are strengths and where there are risk areas. Do you have to give, do you have to provide any training to any of those uh, individuals that are doing the 360 assessments so that they're being effective, as effective as possible? Yeah, I mean, you provide some guidance to them that, you know, they should, um, you know, provide as unbiased a perspective as possible. Um, but there's there's typically not a lot of training. I mean, most of these assessments are on a one to five or maybe a one to seven Likert scale. So, you know, the individual goes in there and they might see a statement that says um, something about, thinking strategically to, you know, drive the business forward. And so what we get in a lot of cases is the recency effect. So what a leader has done most recent is one individual uh, recovers to make that assessment. Um, and so that's kind of what goes into that. But historically, there's not a lot of training involved uh, on how to do the assessment work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Keith, throughout the throughout the presentation, you know, you stress the importance of leadership development. What are some low cost things our our audience can do to increase their company's leadership capabilities? Yeah, so um, definitely the the mentoring piece. So uh, again, this doesn't cost any money outside of trying to match people up that have strengths with people that have the same kind of risk areas. Um, but even from a, you know, mentoring has a, a lot of different facets to it. I think what we are historically uh, focused on is junior to senior personnel mentoring, right? So I'm going to mentor this junior personnel that might be new to the organization. What you need to keep in mind from a mentoring perspective is that um, it's all about teaching the old dog new tricks, right? So a lot of millennials coming into the workforce have a lot of great experiences already that can help us that are not necessarily from that generation learn to adapt to different situations and be a more effective leader. So, I, you know, that's one area that you can kind of consider. I think, again, another area is around, you know, the experiences. It doesn't cost you any money to give a person a project to work on. You know, what I highly recommend is that you try to pick projects that are very high level, uh, that you can get a group of people involved in potentially to work together and build teamwork and think strategically, you know, if that's an area that you want to focus in. But those are kind of the, the two ideas that come to mind immediately that are low cost. Keith, how how can some of the business owners who are logged in today determine their leadership strengths and risk areas in their businesses? Yeah, so again, I think, um, and that's a great question. So 
there are a number of ways to do this. Uh, as I was kind of sharing uh, in the beginning, you know, one of those ways is around structured interviews where you're asking questions about leaders, um, you know, usually from an external source so they can kind of understand what it is that this individual has capability to do from a leadership perspective. Um, you know, the assessment piece, there are a number, there's a world of assessments out there that help you from a team building perspective, from a leadership development perspective. Uh, some of those are really expensive and some are not as expensive. So, you know, if I, if I was gonna recommend something to you today, I would say definitely go out and invest in a 360 assessment for you and your team. Um, because again, in large part, what I have found from my 30 years of leadership and 20 plus years in the talent management, leadership development spaces, leaders are typically unaware of the impact that they have on people that they are leading. And so it provides a really helpful window um, you know, to shed light on, you know, how you are doing as a leader. And again, it's then data that you can use to help tell your narrative and your leadership story, uh, whether you're looking to make an acquisition or looking to sell yourself. Sure. You, you, you also mentioned leadership implication of deal theses. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, can you discuss that a little more, you know, for, for, uh, for those who are listening? Yeah. So, you know, so a deal thesis, and I, I kind of go back because uh, we we spend a lot of time looking at this, but, you know, the first question you have to ask yourself, is this a scale, scope, or capability deal? And, you know, the, one example that comes to mind is when eBay bought Skype. So I think everybody's probably familiar with Skype. You probably have an account. But eBay originally bought Skype before they, they turned that into a failed M&A deal, unfortunately, and sold it to Microsoft, which is part of their, now their Office 365 suite. Um, in the case of um, eBay and Skype, it was uh, a scale and a capability deal. So what eBay thought would happen is that with they had a, a number of people in it. I'm sure all of you have been on eBay where you go in there and you do the auction and you try to win that auction. They felt that in some markets such as real estate and um, automobiles that buyers and sellers would want to see each other and communicate with one another. And so they, they made a, a bad business assumption is basically what happened. Mm -hmm. But in this case, this was a scope deal. So they expected that making the, the Skype acquisition would actually allow them to move into other uh, areas that they weren't currently in as they sought to maximize their e-commerce capabilities. It was a capability deal because in this case, they didn't currently have a means to communicate other than through the email functions that were in the eBay platform. And so those two things or the kind of the first questions you have to ask yourself. Is it a scale, scope, or capability deal? Out of that, uh, then you're gonna discern some business objectives. For eBay, it was you know, moving into new geographic areas because of the access that Skype gave it. So Skype was uh, heavily used in Europe. It wasn't a place that eBay was. So now here's this opportunity for eBay to move into Europe. 
um, that has implications to your workforce and from a leadership perspective. So do you have leaders that can lead the change, know the business in those areas? And so by understanding that, you position yourself much better uh, to understand what it is that you need from a leadership uh, strengths perspective. So it's uh, it's almost it's almost ten to three. Let's 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 wrap it up quickly here. One more question, and, and I think this wraps it up. What is you know the connection between leadership and culture and M and A's? Yeah. So at the end of the day, again, that's another great question from the audience. So at the end of the day. Uh, Culture is derived from leader behavior. And so the reason that a lot of M&As fail, as we, we shared on the CFO deal risk factors, is around the culture piece. And I showed you a couple of case studies where uh, ones that we've worked on, as well as some in Fortune 500 companies, where the culture really impacted the success of the deal. Um, and what we believe is, again, Culture is derived by leader behaviors, which are formulated from the skills that they bring to the fight. So if a leader is uh, great at building relationships, what you're going to find is a leader that is probably outgoing, uh, engaging with people across the table in the company that you're looking to acquire, for example. And so you need to understand that and what skills actually drive success, because again, you're going to create a really robust change management plan, uh, and I, I can't tell you the number of companies I've spoken to where the large consulting firms come in, build these robust change management plans and communication plans, and uh, they really feel like it was a total waste of time, and that's because they didn't focus on the leadership piece. Mm -hmm. So. Great. Uh, well, Keith, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed this time. Thanks very much. Uh, hopefully, it's uh, it's warmer in your car than it is here in New York City right now, <laughs> uh, and and uh, and you're not running too low on on power. But we we appreciate it very much. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who signed in. Uh, we will be tomorrow uh, emailing everybody a copy of the slide deck that that Keith presented along with a uh, with, along with a replay to this webinar so you know please feel free to share it with your with your colleagues and should anyone have any further questions or feedback please feel free to uh, to email them to us at webinars at starmountaincapital.com Keith thank you very very much again we appreciate it yeah thank you so much John and uh, thanks everybody for attending have a great and, yeah, and you too Keith and everybody we look forward to you joining us for future educational webinars. Thanks all and, and enjoy the rest of your day.